dear listener to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod and joining me for the second time this season, it's been a few weeks, mate. Pleasure to have you back on. It's Eli Duxon. How you been? Mate? Yeah, mate. It's uh, good to be back on. Uh, lots happened since we last spoke because I was leading up to round one. So um, it's been, a, been an interesting start to the season and yeah, like I said, a lot's been going on and then a lot of it's surprising as, as usual in the first, uh, first few rounds of footy. Um, so keen to, keen to talk into this round. Indeed, three teams who played finals last year are now firmly entrenched in the bottom six in Essendon West Coast, uh, not West Coast, Essendon, Port Adelaide and GWS, whilst three teams who I don't think anyone really expected to be in finals um, probably at any point this year are now in and around that top eight spot on the ladder. But first and foremost, it was a huge weekend of football in round five. Let's discuss our top two highlights and we'll get into the top two lowlights. Excuse me. I'm going to ask you, Eli, what were your top two highlights of round five? It's got to be um, first and foremost, Port Adelaide showing some ticker, albeit not for the full game, but finally showing what they are capable of and, um, look, it's something that they haven't done at all this season, but we all know they've still got a quality enough side to do that. And, um, yeah, to show them, put up that fight and have a massive comeback, although they didn't get the win. Um, yeah, they, they certainly looked like, well, here we go. This is the port that showed up last year and the year before that. Um, and the poor that should have been challenging for the top four, like a lot of people thought at the start of the season, um, and certainly the finals, um, whether you thought they were top four or not, they, uh, I think a lot of people expected them to be around that top A mark. So, um, yeah, that was definitely, definitely good to see that. And, um, the other one for me, this is more of a personal one. Um, but as everyone knows, that listens to the podcast and is aware of me and my, um, my standing, um, I'm a big Brisbane fan and, to see, really? yeah, yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, to see my boys get up when I was watching the game with about five of my Collingwood friends, um, that was absolutely delightful. Um, after, after admittedly a close scare, um, at times during the game, I thought, oh, I can't get too ahead of myself here. Um, but yeah, lit was off by the end of the night, so they were certainly my top two highlights. But there was there was a lot. There's a lot of good footy that's been going on, and um, some disappointing performances, which I know we'll get into, but. Um, Plenty of good stuff going on in the world of footy, Casper. So what were your two highlights? Well, my number one football team at the moment sucks. So I'm going to talk about my second favorite team, the Sydney Swans 56 to nothing start. If it was a tennis game, it would be 56 love. Seven minutes into the second quarter, the scoreline was 48 to zip. 25 to four inside 50 count in favor of the traveling Swans. At the end of the first half, that's courtesy of AFL.com.au. Sydney led the scoring shots 20 to 2, led the inside 50 count 39 to 10, led the disposal count by 49, the hitouts by 15, contested possession by 26. By the end of the game, the Swans had 13 more tackles, uh, won the inside 50 count by 36, and had 72 more disposals. Unbelievable. Long gone are the, uh, as the Herald Sun wrote, long gone are the Days where the Eagles and Swans had close games against each other and unpredictable matches. The Swans' domination against the Eagles continue. And my second highlight, instead of going with a team that dominated, uh, a good team that dominated a bad team, 
I'm instead going to go for a team that has surprised the AFL world with how good they've been, beating a another very good team in a close game, and that is Hawthorne. They won, A, despite losing most key stats, which was impressive in and of itself, but the fact that they gave up such a sizable lead in the middle of the game and yet still won was most impressive. At quarter time, it was five goals to one in favour of the Hawks. And you would have been forgiven to if you thought how far Hawthorne in this game. And then it three, cut to three-quarter time and they're down by two goals. And I was certainly thinking when I saw that, ah, Cats are probably going to run, run away with it in the end. And they kept you on goalless in the last quarter. It was a great effort. And most impressive for me is that once again, it was the young kids. Dylan Moore and Mitch Lewis kicked seven between them. Jai Newcomb had 31 disposals, second highest on the ground only to Joel Selwood. Sicily had 26. Grimshaw had 24. With the exception of Sicily, who were these players two or three years ago? In the world of AFL, relatively speaking, no one. And now these are, these are the players that are driving Hawthorne into a spot in the eight at the moment. And it's super, super impressive. Now, if I may, I'm going to head straight into the low lights. To be expected, I mentioned my second favorite team is doing very well. My first favorite team is not doing so well. Uh, for those who don't know, right, Eli's a Brisbane supporter. I am, quite surprisingly, an Essendon supporter. I know I keep, I keep it on the relative uh, down low. Um, as an Essendon member this year, we got sent this little um, little kind of bracelet medal kind of thing um, that has the club's 150th logo on one side. And on the back, it reads, thank you for being a proud and passionate member of the Essendon Football Club in our 150th year. Right. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I should say thank you for being the only passionate people about this football club because it's clear that our players do not care enough about this football club we lost the disposal count by 36 and yet lost the tackle count by 12 at least west coast despite losing by a lot more than we did they won the tackle count in their landslide loss we lost the inside 50 count by 12 we lost the appearances by 12 and most damning of all that third quarter 39 points to two 39 points to two I could have been having a shot from 25 meters out, right? With nobody standing on the mark. I could have pulled my hamstring in the run-up, fallen over backwards, the ball dribbled off the side of my boot, and I still would have had a higher chance of kicking a higher score than Essendon, a professional football team, scored for the entirety of that 30-minute period. Unbelievable. Only three Fremantle players didn't lay a tackle versus six Essendon players. And truthfully, one of those three Frio players was the medical sub who wasn't used at all. So really it was only two Fremantle players who didn't have a tackle versus Essendon six. Fremantle had 14 players with multiple tackles. Essendon only had nine. And yet, may I remind you, Frio won the Swelter count by 36. You know who I wish Essendon had? right? Not Stringer, not Merritt. I wish we had someone like David Mundy. Mundy, despite being the age he is, he is 20 touches, three tackles, four clearances. Out of Essendon's 23 players, if you include the medical sub, Mundy had more tackles than 17 of them. Mundy had more clearances than every Essendon player bar three. He had more disposals than every single Essendon player bar six of them. 
side note here, right? I'm going to try and add a little bit of comedy into this, right? And this might this might be botched, but you know what? Essendon season is botched, so it will, you know, it'll be okay. Have you ever watched Pirates of the Caribbean 4 on Stranger Tides? It's a terrible movie, but basically the premise of it is that Jack Sparrow and the gang are trying to find the Fountain of Youth, right? Now, they should have asked David Mundy where this Fountain of Youth is because it's clear that he has access to it somewhere. Would have it would have saved him a saved, lot of time. It would have <laughs> saved Johnny Depp a lot of time and it would have saved the viewer who had to sit through that piece of terrible garbage movie a lot of time as well. And you know what? It's ironic that I bring that up because watching that movie, that god-awful movie, and watching Essendon playing at third quarter left me with the same feeling of being hollow. And I'll tell you another connection. The Fountain of Youth in that movie, basically, if you don't know, dear listener, the whole thing about that is that it's supposed to give you all the years of life that somebody else is still yet to live and add it on to the end of your life, right? Which is ironic because watching Essendon and watching Pirates of the Caribbean 4, I felt like all the years left of my life still to be lived was taken away from me. <laughs> Just absolutely terrible. And the worst thing of all was watching Darcy Parrish, someone who finished fourth in the Brownlow medal camp, as I recall last year, jog on the spot as Travis Collier, former Essendon player, just sprinted away inside 50. And if that was a one-off, I wouldn't be mentioning it. But that was a microcosm of the entire third quarter. Seriously, I don't know if, if I don't know what happened. It was like we were, it was like we were wanted to play with daffodils instead of trying to chase and tackle, right? Stop playing with the flowers, boys, and play football. Do your job. If I was doing such, if I was as lazy as Essendon players were at my job, I would be fired and understandable. Anyone, right? Can you imagine a mechanic being as lazy as some of the Essendon players were, putting together a car and the car falls apart and still having a job? Imagine a doctor telling a patient, oh, yeah, I mean, you might have a broken bone or maybe not, I don't know, and still having a job. No, they would be fired and understandable. And it's even worse because the VFL team is doing terribly too. So it's like, who do you even replace these players with? Sorry. Um, moving on to the second point. Uh, and we will touch upon <laughs> we will touch upon this later, a little bit more in depth. But just the inconsistency when it comes to the umpire descent rule, right? So we hear on Thursday night, Harris Andrews throws the arms out wide. And we hear the 50 meters, arm out 50 meters. And we go, okay, that's a little weird. But as long as they pay that consistently, that's fine. Cut to Sunday, wait in the Carlton Port Adelaide clash. Hewitt gives away a free kick and puts his arms out and looks like he shouts at the umpire. And the umpire does nothing. So if it is arms out 50 meters, then do it consistently, arms out 50 meters. We'll get more to that later. Eli, what were your top two lowlights before I have a goddamn stroke? Well, Casper, I know you didn't mince your words and I was expecting something big from you then, but even that was surprising to me. That was, uh, <laughs> you went hard and very well done. Um, but of course, one of my lowlights would have been Essendon's fight, but um, I'll go with something different. And one, the other one I had was West Coast's first half. 
Mm. Um, it goes without saying. Um, it was just deplorable. Um, I mean, the first goal, the first score was a goal. It's like 17 minutes into the second quarter. Um, I don't understand how AFL listed players can go that long without scoring once, even. Um, even the junior footy, you still see some terrible teams. Even if they get beat by 200 points, they still often get a score on the board. Um, so I was, and West Coast is a funny team because you still look at their side and they've got a lot of stars in that side. They've got, they've still got a strong list, but they just can't seem to put it together. So that was, that was disappointing after I thought I had a bit of spare time. I thought I'll watch this game and watch the first half. And that's probably the worst half to watch. Um, so I guess that was my mistake. Um, but my other low light on a bit more of a somber note, I guess, was uh, Rory Sloan and the news of his ruptured ACL. Um, he's one of those players that I think, regardless of who you've supported, he was always relatively likable. Uh, I can't speak for everyone when I say that because there might be incidents that I'm unaware of um, with certain teams, whatever. Um, but for the Adelaide side of the moment who um, need that senior guidance and are playing terribly, they, they knocked off Richmond on the week and they, they played really well. It was, it was tough to see him go off and, yeah, it was to get the news that it was a, a ruptured ACL. So thoughts are with War, uh, Rory at this time. Um, hope he uh, managed to get back on the park after this one because it would be a shame to see his career cut short because of that. Um, but yeah, those are my two lowlights. And around that, you could probably pick quite a few, um, mm. if we're being honest. And it's certainly in the weeks gone by, there, was, there are many, many, many you can pick apart in each round. But, yeah, those are my two, Casper. Definitely a good point about um, Rory Sloan. Wish him a speedy recovery with the ACL. Um, ACLs are always, they always look so innocuous whenever it happens. Um, as always, I guess, partially what makes it so devastating is the fact that it looks like such a, a nothing injury when you see it happening. Um, but then they miss out on 12 months of football. You know, it's devastating. Um, now on to the player that surprised us the most. Um, if it's all right, I'll go with this one first. Elliot Himmelberg oh. did not kick a goal in the first fortnight. Uh, and then he has had a very good three-week period since then. Kicked 10 goals for the year so far, including two bags of four. One of them being on the weekend. Four goals, one from 11 disposals, three marks, three tackles. Even got a hit out. Why not? Elliot, yeah, sure. Go in the ruck, get a hit out. And he did. Unbelievable effort. What's surprising for me is that Elliot showed that he can be a dangerous cog in the dangerous forward line machine that is the Crows at the moment, right? First two weeks, it was all about Josh Rochelle, right? Kick five goals in the first game, all about Josh Rochelle. Well, against Essendon, it was a text show, right? And it was, and he had two, he had he had a quite first fortnight, quite against the Bombers, only kicked a couple of goals. It's been mostly Walker and Rochelle. Now, Rochelle had a quiet game by his standards, still kicked two goals. And it's amazing the fact that I'm using the word quiet to describe a first-year player only kicking two goals. So that's the standards that he's set for himself. Walker kicked five, but then all of a sudden, Adelaide has this other dominant target inside 50 who popped up and kicked four. And so I think the Crows are going to be a real handful for a lot of dumb defences this year. Really, really, really dangerous. And if those three players can continue playing well it's like a three-headed hydra right chop off one head and another three heads grow uh truly truly a terrifying sight for any opposition how about you eli well himmelberg was my pick as well so i'm um, sorry now nah, you've done a better you, 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 you could go with himmelberg if you want 
you've done a lot of justice. I'll give someone else. I'll go a bit closer to home. Someone that I know a bit more um, just off the, uh, um, yeah, off the bat, but it'll be Marcus Adams for me. Um, if you've watched him play all year, like I have, it's not so much a surprising performance, um, but what I've found, not again, not really surprising, but what I, the shift that I saw over the, when I was watching him last Thursday was I felt so, so confident when he was around the ball or in a contest, even with ball in hand, often at times when he was in and out of the team with injury, um, he thought it didn't always have that. And you're going to get that with every defender uh, op- opposition forwards. You're going to get the better of them on any given day. But um, I just feel like he's, he's certainly in contention uh, to be an all Australian defender this year. And I'm not sure that's a big call at all. Um, not saying you'll be in, in the, in the side, but definitely in the squad of 40, if he can continue this form and um, more importantly, keep, uh, keep himself on the park, which is something that no, he has notably struggled with in the past, but oh, Jesus, he's just good to look at out there. He's um he's he's probably got one of the best rigs in the AFL, I'd say. Um, so it's nice seeing him down back with ball in hand, and he kicked a goal on the weekend too. His first goal for Brisbane, first goal in five years, I believe, after spending a bit of time forward with the Dogs. So yeah, Marcus Adams is my surprise player, not so much because of his performance on the weekend, but his output so far this season has been unbelievable. And there was a stat that came out on the socials throughout the week that he's actually leading the league in intercept marks. So. Um, it's nice to see his um, his efforts and his uh, durability that's been tested over time um, and his resilience sort of come through uh, with the season that he's having so far. And I know it's, we're only five games in. It's early to be talking about this. Um, it's too early to even tell if sides are any good at this point. But, um, yeah, Adam's my surprise player for now. Yep, fair enough, mate. Um, I do feel like upon reflection, maybe instead of Elliot Himmelberg, nothing to take take nothing away from him. He had a great game. But I probably should have said Matt Tavener for someone so often ridiculed for um, brain farts in the goal square <laughs> over the years. That mark, attempted mark on the goal line that he fumbled that cost Fremantle a goal in a close loss against Carlton in 2016. Well, the mark in the goal square in 2020, I think it was, in Perth, played on. It was like a Nick Rewalt hits Shaw part two to then come out and kick seven goals and look like the reincarnation of Matthew Pavlich and Tony Modre. It was an amazing effort, um, although granted he was playing against red and black witches hats. But take nothing away, seven goals is an incredible effort, especially in this day and age. Now, um, I touched upon this before. We're now on to the major talking words of the week, and I think the biggest one, quite obviously, has got to be the umpire dissent from players. Now, I've mentioned before my opinion about it being inconsistent. I want to ask you, Eli, what do you think the problem is? Is it the fact that the players aren't adapting fast enough? Is it the fact that the that it forces players to keep their emotions in check in what can be a very high emotion game? Or is it the fact that it's not consistently enforced? Or all of the above? Absolutely all of the above. And it's it's a tricky one to put your finger on just one point because it is so there are so many different facts to go into all the rules in the AFL sort of adjudication um, sort of system on field, that is. And it is hard for the umpires to get it right. Um, but I think this one is is just been so blatantly inconsistent so far. And you mentioned before about the arms out rule. Um, but the fact that Brad Scott defended that, all the 50 meter penalties and all the decisions were correct. 
Um, if I, I hope I'm not misquoting him there or misread what the article was, but um, for him to come out and say that, in, like that, that just states that the arms out is 50. So that means the umpiring has been second rate, which I have, I have, so, I have a lot of sympathy for umpires and I get frustrated at them all the time because I'm a football fan and that's, that's just what we do. But there are so many decisions that are almost black and white and if something as black and white as arms out equals 50 meters, then that is a very simple thing that every umpire can see. I understand that holding the ball might be a little bit contentious. Um, the duck in the head might be a little bit contentious. Sometimes a hold, is it really a hold or have they just tugged the jumper a little bit? Has it affected them? Um, a lot of these things are subjective and I totally get it when umpires don't call it, but that is for me, that was terrible. But the biggest problem is you mentioned it, Casper, that players are having to suppress their emotions and all we want as fans and all the media um, commentators, all they want is for players to show more emotion, show us more. And we've seen that with Essendon throughout the week. A lot, uh, players, uh, media commentators are getting stuck into players for um, sharing a smile, having a laugh post-game. And they want them to show more sort of frustration and, and be more upset with the performance that they put out. But are they not allowed to be upset with... Like you said, in the heat of the moment, you know, if a free kick doesn't go their way, um, sometimes they think, well, I wasn't in the wrong there. What are you supposed to do? Um, healthy dissent is a natural part of the game. Abuse isn't. I like the no abuse policy. I'm absolutely for that. But dissent in any capacity, um, and I'm not just talking about AFL, but you talk about even more greater politically, um, which dissent has been a massive thing over the last few years. Um, people aren't happy about it, you know? But in the footy, it is, I think, healthy descent is certainly part of the fabric of the game. And there should be, there should be allowances for it. And I think there should be, it, it's absolutely black and white what abuse is. You know, like you mentioned, George, you were yelling. If you take a few steps towards the umpire with your arms out and you're yelling, that's abuse. If you're trying to stamp that out, that's exactly what they're targeting. Is it threatening and like, is it life threatening in any way? No, it's, but if the umpire's, um, if the AFL is trying to protect the umpires with less abuse, then um, there's got to be more clear uh, rules in place about that. And it should be very clear as to what that looks like. So there are so many frustrating things going on with it. Um, and I like that every umpire, um, or not like, I appreciate that every umpire might see things differently. And like you're talking about, the umpire might not see something as abuse. One umpire might not see it as abuse and the, the next one might. And that's just that's just part of the game, but there, it, it is certainly clear what's abuse and what is not abuse. So I think the inconsistency with the umpiring is the biggest factor, and I think players have done well to adjust um, because they've played all their junior career um, a certain way. Same with the stand rule. I thought that was going to be a bit of a a bit of a flop, but uh, players adjusted really well to that, and I think they've done quite well so far. Um, but frustration just gets the better of you sometimes. And um, I think 50 might be a little bit too harsh in times. Um, but again, you don't want to add too many quirks to the rules that uh, make it harder for the umpires who already seem to be struggling and incapable. And that might sound a little bit scathing, but it's just how it is. The umpiring has been deplorable in, in, in every capacity so far this season. And just when you think, oh, we get a good game here, it's they've done well with this game, you don't notice them. The next game is just... Terrible. There's no other way for me to put it, Casper. It's, it's it's making footy hard to watch, and we say this every year with the rule changes. But yeah, 
it's hard to put a finger on it, but you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating as a supporter, even as a neutral supporter, you know, you want to see your players show a bit of ticker, they show a bit of ticker, you get punished. And as long as they don't cross the line in a threatening way, um, look, but even here, us being, or me, I should say, um, having a tough time uh, voicing exactly what I think should happen um, or should be the case. Uh, goes to show how hard it might be out there for the umpires. But there are a lot of clear things like that arms out rule. Um, if that's a rule, pay it. No, I've got no problem with it. If that's a rule, whatever. But there should be a bit of a, a bit of leniency considering the high stakes environment of the game and the pressure these players are under off field um, to be role models and then to also be a media personality, such as the way of the 2022 football, I guess. No, I think you hit the hammer on the head there, Eli. Um, I did rant a bit. Yeah, I think no, I, no. I digressed a bit, but yeah, I think I hey, got look, All good. If I can rant about it, then you can rant. Um, I think it's only fair that you get to rant as well on this on this, um, on this episode. <laughs> all fans want is consistency. Right? As I mentioned before, if you're going to pay arm out 50 metres in one game, do it in another game as well. And also, no it's, problem. Not just, it's not just the umpire descent rule that's been brought into question it's also the in the back because you get players like hawkins who seem to shove players freaking 20 kilometers in the back and then they don't get it's 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 ridiculous right and it's really frustrating at fans because we can't understand what the game is and i would i would feel for anyone trying to get into aussie rules watching the game in 2022 trying to figure out what the hell the rules are because honestly, even if they asked a long-time footy fan like you or I, hey, what are the rules? I, I would I would honestly think of saying to them, that's a great question. I don't know. And I think part of it is the fact that you mentioned every single year we get new rules. I just I, I wish that someone would put a, a ban on the rules committee from changing the rules just for three years. Just for three years, right? Yeah. And they could change the rules as much as they want. Just let players adapt right you want to know why we haven't seen a massive increase in scoring because they keep changing the rules players will adapt to them scoring will open up again it's it's so frustrating i feel like the afl had such a perfect 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 game just a couple of seasons ago and they have i don't want to say they ruined it but they have just introduced changes that are just mind-numbing and i agree with what you said i agree with mark what mark robinson said the arm out if it, it takes away from the the emotion of it. And I will never, ever, ever forget at the end of the Swans North Melbourne game in round uh, four, the um, Swans, uh, Will Hayward, having a free kick paid against him. Swans up by five points a minute to go. Emotions are running high. And he yelled at the umpire, no, or something like that. And the umpire paid the 50-meter penalty against him. And in that moment, like, I, 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 I don't know how that could be possibly abuse because, yes, it might be yelling, but it's not, it's not abuse. It's just the, it's just the emotions of it. I, gen- I don't understand it. Sport is not something that can happen in a vacuum. It is an emotional place. And you, you're, acting, you're asking these players to be like robots. And, it, and then they complain when they're like robots. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, no, I don't, I, I would feel 
for players at the moment, especially players who've been playing for a long time, um, because it's it's ridiculous. And I get it, right? I get it. Umpires shouldn't be abused, but arm out fifty meters is it's just ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I did commentating a bit in the Goulburn Valley Football League last year, and from memory, they had a similar rule where if you you know if you argue with the umpire a little bit, that's fifty meters, right? And the fact that I think they had had it for a while before last year, and don't quote me on that, but if I'm right, and they had it for a while before last year, and they still had players giving away 50-meter penalties for arguing with the umpire, just goes to show the fact that no matter how long you have this rule in for, there are still going to be players just in the heat of the moment. They'll just, you know, let something slip, or they'll put their arms out. Like, what's going to be next? A shrug? Is a shrug going to be 50 meters? Is an exhale? Is a player going... Is that going to be 50 metres? Is a roll of the eyes 50 metres? Passive-aggressive 50-metre penalty. Like, seriously, it's ridiculous. <laughs> now, on to the other main talking points. I want to ask you, Carlton, uh, four wins from their first five games. A very impressive record. However, with that being said, they have actually not played four quarters of consistent football yet. They got lucky against the Dogs because the Dogs' last six scoring shots in round two were all behinds. Had they kicked four or five goals, results probably would have been different. They got extremely lucky against Hawthorne and Port Adelaide. Massive starts, only to nearly choke the game away. And they're entrenched in the top eight with a mediocre percentage. And I just want to ask you, Eli, is this problematic is their inability to play four quarters of consistent football a major liability for them this year it's definitely problematic because they'll come come up against the better opposition and they won't be afforded those wins because they're just going to get blown out of the water and like you said bulldogs one of those teams um haven't had the best start the, the start that they'd won anyway um to the season but they could, they could have won that game quite comfortably and we would have looked back on it and thought, yep, fair enough. Not even blink an eye. Um, but it is going to be a problem this season. I think the the most um, the, the most positive thing for them so far is they're still getting wins despite that. And every team that goes through a bit of a rebuild will experience that. You sometimes you'll just like you're just going to lose the close games. That's just how it is. But the next season, things will go your way. They're still got a very young side out in the park. They don't have a lot of guys over. I don't think they've got any guys over thirty. Actually, now that um, the forty-year-old um, Kate Simpson's not playing, um, but uh, they've got a young side and they've got a, quite a few new guys in that midfield, especially um, Paddy Cruz wasn't out there. Um, but you got new guys like Hewitt and Chera. You have the full preseason with them, but they've still got to get used to playing that brand of footy. They've, they've come from interstate and um, with a uh, yeah, vastly different looking lists and sides and roles and within those sides, um, you got guys that uh, are still just going to be figuring that out as the season goes on. And that's completely fine because they, I don't think anyone expects them to make top four this year. Um, if they make the, if they make finals, that'd be a massive bonus for Carlton fans. And it's looking the way they're playing. Um, it's looking like they're going to be a good chance at it, but they can't afford to not play four quarters every week, even if they're playing at 80% for the whole game. Um, not that they will be, but they can't afford these slips because they're going to drop a, a lot of games if they can't sustain that four quarters of those four quarters of uh, of effort and intensity. 
So I think they might come back to the bottom at the end of the season. Um, but the way they're going, credit to them. They've managed to hang in there. And that's the makings of a good side um, or a side that's going to be competitive against against majority of the sides, um, not just a, a flat track bully against the bottom teams. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, it's certainly problematic, but it hasn't hurt them yet. So I think they've got a bit of time now. They've got to figure it out. And Michael Voss has shown he's the right man for the job so far. And I think he's won the, the faith of a lot of Carlton supporters and they're going to be stoked with some of these close wins. So they've got to stick fat with him because he's going to stick fat with this team and I'll back him to work it out. Even if it's not this season, like I said, it might be next season and they'll win a lot of these. Um, they'll beat a lot of the top sides by uh, scraping by. You never know. So um, it is problematic, but they've been doing all right so far. So hopefully they can, um, they can hang on to a few more of these wins. But don't expect that to always happen against the top sides. Yeah, I agree with you. Because uh, let's look at who they've beaten, right? They've beaten Richmond, inconsistent Richmond, inaccurate Bulldogs, Young Hawks, and a Port Adelaide team who, uh, to quote a 2010 footy almanac report about the Adelaide Crows, because they had a 0 6 start to the year that year. Port Adelaide are in hell without a handbasket at the moment. Or hell without a handbag, something like that. They're in hell without something, uh, starting with the letter H. Doesn't sound good. Hell without a hockey puck. There you go. <laughs> and it's, it's, I do think that they will struggle this year to get wins against the likes of Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Geelong. Um, I'm not sure if they play the dogs again, but if they do, they'll probably struggle to beat them because you would hope that the dogs would have gotten their goal-kicking issues sorted out by then. Um, even St Kilda, Fremantle this weekend, if Carlton can't play four quarters of football, I can honestly see them missing finals, which from four to one to missing finals would be devastating. But I do agree with you. I think they are on the right track, and I hope, I hope that they stick that with Michael Moss, because if they don't, and if they sack him after this year, if they crash and miss finals football, even as an Essendon supporter, so help me God, I'm going to be so upset. Honestly, just stick with the process, Carlton. Learn from your mistakes this century, please, on behalf of your footy supporters and on behalf of everyone else. Now, on to two teams who are major surprise packets in a negative way this year, the Bombers and the Giants, both teams with big injuries out, both teams terrible form, both teams suffering big, big, big losses. And I just want to ask you, Eli, will the respective fortunes of the Giants and the Bombers turn around as soon as these players are back? Green, I think, is back in for the Giants this weekend. Yep. Stringer, Merritt, Tip and Woody still a fair way away for, for Essendon. Same with Harrison Jones. But I want to ask you, are there problems more systematic, more long-term, more ingrained than just injuries? Well, you've already gone on about, about Essendon, and I think it's quite clear that there isn't there is another issue there other than personnel. I think they, they'll certainly help. They'll make a they'll make it an immediate impact into results whether that's wins or just smaller losses or just showing a bit more bloody effort which is all you all, all you fans want at this stage um i expect both to bounce back because i still 
not still think, but I, I did think at the start of the season that Essendon would have been competing for uh, for finals and a good position in finals, possibly a home elimination final. Um, if, if things went well, I expect them to bounce back, no worries, but um, they'll need a major turnaround if they want to get back to finals. It doesn't look likely at this point, um, and I don't think the personnel is going to help that. So I do think it is a bit more of a long-term fix. But we've seen it happen before, um, and I'll mention these, um, these the this later, but Melbourne had a quite a good season. They made the preliminary final, dropped off um, into into the abyss for a bit and they came back and, and won the flag. So I'm not saying that's going to happen with Essendon, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's certainly not the end of the world. And um, again, we will touch on another example um, quite soon, but um, it might not happen this season, but it could be next. They could be better for this. And it could be good for some of the coaches to stamp out some of these players who um, the passengers and in every team, when every team's going well, when every team's winning, you see it in every sport, no reason to change, you know. But when you start losing games, players start to get exposed and they get found out and it's it's for the betterment of the team at the end of the day. So um, it's not the end of the world, but I think it is the end of the season at this point for Essendon. Um, we'll need something miraculous. And as for GWS, um, there were some quality sides so far this year. Um, uh, they, they probably haven't played as well as they'd like to uh, or... Um, had margins as small as they probably hoped for, just regardless of whether they thought they um, realistically um, were a chance to win these games. I'm, of course, the players and coaching staff would have believed they can would believe they can win every game. Um, but from a fan uh, standpoint, you just want to see a bit more effort, um, a bit more fight. Um, and I think GWS Green's a massive in. Um, I think they've got the sort of propensity to play some really quality footy uh, and and turn this around by the season's end. Um, are they a final side? Even at the start of the year, I would have thought maybe they could be pushing for it. Will they make it? Well, it just depends on how they went. Um, again, they're probably a bit far out at this point, but they'll, I think they'll have a quicker turnaround than Essendon this season and um, play some good footy. Um, like I said, they've got some quality sides so far this year um, and they just need a run of a few good games and uh, they'll be back on their feet in no time, I'm sure, but... Um, again, if you're looking long term, um, I was surprised that Leon Cameron uh, was still on the job. I, I thought um, he, when his last contract expired, it would have been a good opportunity for them to look elsewhere. But we're not on the four walls. You know, the players must have a lot of trust in him. Um, I would say the, the, that he's got the full backing of the board, but that's the last thing that you want to hear in most situations. So um, does he have the full backing of the board? Then my man is going to get sacked. But um, yeah, look, I think. I think GWS turning around, but um, Essendon maybe not so much this year, um, but they'll be better for it. I think Port Adelaide have come out and said that Ken Hinckley has the support of the board, so who knows? Danger. Maybe Leon, maybe Leon Cameron could be coaching Port Adelaide next year. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, yeah, both Ken Hinckley and Leon Cameron, they're starting to get to that 10-year mark, and I think Leon Cameron's over there already um, close to the 10-year mark. It's just when you don't have a premiership, and Port Adelaide's case haven't reached the grand final. Giants reached one, got annihilated. That pressure really starts to build. Um, yeah. And you start to, you know, you, you, you risk the possibility of becoming one of the great what-ifs in football history. And I think that's where GWS is at at the moment. 
I do think that once Toby Green is back, because of how important a player he is, the Giants probably can turn their season around quick enough to uh, potentially make finals. I can't say the same for Essendon, just because Essendon's younger. The Giants, I think, more, more finals experience. I think I trust their younger players better. I trust their older players better, truthfully. Um, and I trust their coach better as well, um, which is depressing to say. But I think, yeah, this could be a case for Essendon going two steps forward and one step back. I'm going to move on to the next topic because I don't just, just don't want to talk about Essendon anymore. On to the uh, the exact opposite, two teams who were perhaps expected to not be as good as they are, are all of a sudden four and one after five games. And that is St. Kilda and Fremantle. Now, I want to ask you this, Eli. Out of these two teams, which team, which team's form is a more reliable picture of where they're currently at? Casper, I've thought about this for a bit, and I'm going to give a boring answer, but I think both are fairly placed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a tough one because... I say to you every single time we talk footy, every single time there's a surprising result, I say I have no idea where teams are at. And I've tipped against St Kilda and Freer a few times this year, and that's the reason why I'm, I'm not in the top three or even close to it in both yeah. my competitions that I'm in. Um, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> notoriously bad tipper. But um, St Kilda had a season last year that Melbourne had, um, and this is where their, Melbourne's coming back. Um, they played the finals 2020. I think they made the, the semi-final and, and then got knocked off. Um, but they had a, a poor season last year and everyone thought that they would be pushing for finals again and they didn't and they were terrible, but not much has changed. And same thing for Melbourne. They, they didn't have a lot that changed. Um, it's certainly cosmetically with, uh, with teams, uh, with, uh, with personnel, sorry. Uh, but there, there could be a lot more stuff that's happened uh, behind closed doors that we don't know. They do a lot of meditation out here, St Kilda. But the thing that they're having this year is more consistent performers. Um, and Max King is certainly one of them who's just gone to another level that uh, I think a lot of people thought he would. But they're getting a lot more consistent role players. So memory is slotting into a bit more of a role player. He's not that key forward. Um, at least he doesn't have to be anymore. Uh, Jack Sinclair is getting a lot more time through the midfield and he's racking up the touches he's, he's not just a halfback um anymore he's shown that he can play through that through the middle of the ground and make an impact and guys like wangani miller are one of the silkiest kicks that's that sort of come through in this recent uh recent crop of players and it, they've made an immediate impact so i i don't think they're they're too far out of their depth st kilda but we'll know more as the sort of season goes on and as can they keep stringing these performances together but Freo as well, they've had a sea rise. And I think this is this looks like a bit more of a culmination, I hope, because they've showed promise over the last few seasons since Longmuir took over. They built up their defense and now they're slowly starting to, to build up that offensive um, firepower, if you will. And they've still got Nat Five to come back into this team as well, who they can afford to leave out until it's 100% now. They don't have to bring him in because they're not struggling. They're not trying to desperately claw back um, a few wins to make sure that they're in a decent position come midway point of the season. So he'll come back fully fit. And look, I've, I've had a soft spot for Freo because when Brisbane were bad, they were the team I was going for a bit because they were a bit more of an underdog. 
but I still think that they're fairly placed too. Um, I would like them to be below Brisbane if ideally, but unfortunately that's not the case. Um, but look, we, we can't have it our way all the time, I suppose. So um, St. Kilda and Freo, I think both are fairly placed. I'm going to give you the boring answer, Casper. Um, if I had to say who might not be um, where they should be, I'm going to say Fremantle. I think they might drop off a little bit once they start playing, um, once they play more of the quality teams and as the season gets a bit deeper. But I wouldn't be surprised if they held onto a top four spot. Um, you know, I would be surprised, but the way they've been playing so far, um, I expect them to certainly be challenging for top four, certainly in the finals. You say once Fremantle starts playing trickier opponents, but look at who St Kilda has played, right? St Kilda, they beat Fremantle in Perth, which as it turns out, it's pretty good. But they lost to Collingwood, team that is widely expected to be bottom six. They beat Hawthorne, again, a team that's expected to be bottom six. And maybe Collingwood and Hawthorne are going to be a lot better than that this year. But both Collingwood and Hawthorne have shown in patches that they aren't good teams, right? So whoop-de-doo, right? Then they beat the Suns. Whoop-de-doo, right? Hansen killed in their second premiership already. They beat Gold Coast. My goodness. And they beat the broken, toothless Tigers. Rudderless Richmond. Fremantle, on the other hand, what was so impressive about their win against Essendon was that not only how they won, but it... They beat a massive hoodoo in order to do it. They've only ever beaten Essendon once before the last weekend at Marvel Stadium, and that was in 2010. It was their biggest win against the Bombers outside of WA. So for me, Fremantle have been more impressive in terms of who they've beaten and in terms of how they've beaten them. Because, yeah, sure, Saints, bit of a struggle with the exception of the game against Hawthorne, which was a domination from, from the start. But aside from that being close, tight for part of the game, and then they kick away. Fremantle blew the Giants away, destroyed Essendon, yada, yada, crushed West Coast. And they should have comfortably beaten the Crows. If they could kick straighter than a boomerang, they would have beaten the Crows quite comfortably. So for me, Fremantle, I think their current form is more sustainable. St Kilda will wait to see until they start playing really good teams. Um, even before the start of the season, I think a lot of people would have expected the Saints to have that kind of record that they do now. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Now, on to what promises to be a monster Anzac Day weekend. Uh, no more Thursday nights, at least until the buy rounds. I know how you feel about that, Eli. So we start on Friday night football in the nation's capital, Monica Oval. GWS versus St. Kilda. This is a mammoth game. Toby Green should be re returning for the Giants. St. Kilda, four in a row. But now they're playing a team who should be a finals contender by the end of the year. Eli, can the Saints keep the momentum rolling? Yeah, I certainly think so. Um, I've got them winning by about 15 points. Um, I've got it a little bit closer than perhaps uh, I might have before the uh, news of Toby Green coming back um, was in. But um, yeah, GWS put up a better performance than last week. Um, I don't think Leon Cameron would have been all too happy with, with the final result, albeit it was against Melbourne, who look, they look unbeatable at the moment. But um, yeah, I expect the Saints to keep on rolling. Um, certainly a fair point with the opposition they've played, but the brand of football they've played so far has been very exciting. So 
Um, I'm hoping Canberra turns it on with the weather. <laughs> I, I can't even. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. But um, yeah, look, I, I think St Kilda will play a fairly open game as with GWS, and it should be an entertaining clash. Um, but yes, no Thursday night football. Um, the weekends are suddenly shorter, unfortunately for me, um, and a lot of people who, who like Thursday night, but I totally get it. Um, so yeah, I've got Saints winning this one. I promise, I promise, dear listener, we did not collaborate on these tips beforehand. I've got the Saints <laughs> winning by 14 points. I think it's going to be a ripping contest. I think the Giants are going to take it up to St. Kilda. It's going to be a great game of football. But I just think even with Toby Green coming back, I do feel like the Giants are going to take a little bit of time to gel with him back in the team. And I just wonder, and this is entirely... Like, there's no evidence of this whatsoever. But I just wonder how the Giants feel now that they've had a terrible start to the year. Toby Green's been missing for a large part of it due to his own stupidity. And now he's coming back into the team. I just wonder how the Giants feel about playing with him just internally. So, you know, that's entirely speculation. Nothing to support that. But it's interesting to think about. On to Saturday, we've gone to Canberra. Now we go to another part of the bush in Victoria. It's Ballarat's turn, Mars Stadium, the Bulldogs and the Crows. Could be a sneaky good game. I do have the Dogs winning this one pretty comfortably, though, by 29 points. If they can kick straight, the Dogs can win this comfortably. With that being said, I think this is a major danger game for the Dogs because big forwards have torn them apart so far this year. Think of Kerno and Mackay kicking nine goals between them in round two. Round one, Ben Brown kicked four goals. Buddy kicked a couple in round three, despite the Dogs winning. Round four, Rewald and Lynch, I think, kicked six between them. And the Crows have Himmelberg firing on all syllables, Walker firing on all syllables, and Rochelle continuing to be the modern-day marvel of the competition. So it, it could be a danger game. This could be a shootout, a shootout in Ballarat, how exciting would that be? Hopefully it's a good game. Eli, can the dogs keep the momentum rolling or can the crows spring another upset? Well, again, another part of the world where I can't imagine the weather's going to be too crash hot. But um, look, I thought about going uh, for Adelaide because I thought it might make the tips interesting. But um, I've been a Brisbane fan. We've been on the end of, uh, I think, three years in a row of Ballarat games against dogs. Um, and I went to a couple of them with, with my old man. It's 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 nice there, but the doggies, I think they beat us almost every game we've played there. Um, so I think they're they're well adjusted to those conditions in that ground. Um, they've got the experience there. Um, I think they will hang on against Adelaide's side, but I would love an upset. Like I said, I really wanted to back that, but um, being in Ballarat, I don't think in good conscience I could. I could go forward with that, unfortunately. Fair point, mate. Now on to quite possibly the most intriguing game of the weekend, the winless power up against the uh, struggling West Coast Eagles at the Adelaide. Can we Oval. skip this? <laughs> it, this could be the game of the round. Who knows how terrible it <laughs> could be. Um, I want to ask you this one, Eli. I'll get you to start. Who do you think is going to win this game? Can Port finally get on the board or will the Eagles ease the pressure on Adam Simpson? Well, off the back of last week, I, I can't back West Coast at all. I just I just cannot do it to myself. Um, and again, off the back of last week, Port Adelaide showed some ticker, like I said earlier. So 
Um, I hope they can bring this again and hopefully kickstart their season because um, they are exciting to watch when they're up and up and about. Um, so being at Adelaide Oval and being that uh, they've probably got a little bit more momentum to take into this game. I'm going to go with Port, um, but yeah, it's, it's it's not picking between uh, anything too pretty. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this one went either way and if this one was a, a 40 to 50 slog fest or like you said, Casper, this could be game of the round and I hope it is. I cer- certainly hope it is because they've gotten the twilight fixture on a Saturday. Um, they deserve the Sunday fixture, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I hope it's a great game. But who you got, Casper? You're going to go with something against me? Or, I am. Um, I'm going yes. with Eagles by 17 points just because Oof. I think West Coast, sure, when players come back in, they take a little bit of time to readjust. Now yeah. they've had an extra week. Port Adelaide still with massive injuries out. They're in a hole. Yes, true. They almost pinched a 50-point comeback win. But the fact that they got 50 points behind is a major problem, I think, for them. And the Eagles love playing Port Adelaide in Adelaide. They love playing Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Think of the 2017 elimination final. Luke Shuey, controversial high tackle after the siren eats a year later. Port up by 10 points with a minute left. Somehow lost that game. Jeremy McGovern. After the siren, I wouldn't be surprised if it was after the siren again. I think the Eagles are playing better football at the moment. I think I could not trust West Coast more. Port Adelaide with the Eagles, you can at least point out where their problems are, namely injuries and the fact that they're listed in that great port. I genuinely don't know where their problem is coming from. Genuinely don't know. And that's a major problem. Now, on to what is also an intriguing contest. Fremantle versus Carlton at Optus Stadium. I've got the Dockers winning by eight points. Controversial. They haven't beaten the Blues since 2018. And the Blues do pretty well against the Dockers in Perth. But it's been a couple of years since the Blues have actually had to go to Perth to play a game. 2021, uh, played the Eagles in Sydney and played the Dockers twice in Melbourne, which I still think is colossally unfair. But there you go. That's COVID for you. Fremantle at home are a much tougher um, preposition than they are uh, preposition? Proposition, that's it. <laughs> Not preposition. Tougher proposition on the road than they are at home than they are on the road. Carlton, I don't, uh, they've played once on the road so far and they got smacked by the Gold Coast Suns. So now they're playing up against a team who is currently second on the ladder outside of W, uh, outside of Victoria, Fremantle, fresh off a roadkill win. Yeah, I think Fremantle's going to win. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another thriller between these two teams. These two teams love to play a close one in Perth. Think of Jack News from the boundary line, Mark Murphy, over the shoulder, classics. Yeah, look, this one's a toss of the coin for me. I've, I really had no idea. I've already done my tips. In both competitions, and this one, I got to it both times, and I thought, wow, I don't know which way to go. Um, so for the sake of competition, I'm going to go Carlton. Um, I think I might have tipped Fremantle, but Carlton <laughs> could very well take this. You know, it, you, you mentioned everything you did before, but um, I think momentum's a funny thing in football, and even though it wasn't the most convincing of second halves uh, for Carlton uh, last week, I still think that they've been playing some really quality footy this year. They've managed to get everything going together um, at the right time. So this is probably the scalp they need. And I think they'll be looking at this moving forward. 
as a sort of not a make or break game, but if they can take a take a win off the top four side, currently a top four side, um, at their home ground, which like they're trying to make a fortress, it's going to be a big confidence booster for them. So they'll be going in, in this with absolutely everything, as they would every week. But um, this will be a major scalp for them if they can if they can take it home. So I'm going to go Carlton this one, but I hope it's less than a kick. Fair enough. I could see that happening. Um, on to Sunday, the Tasmanian Kangaroos. Oops, I mean the North <laughs> Melbourne Kangaroos. Sorry, did I say that? Such a Freudian slip. Versus Geelong at Blundstone Arena in Hobart. Hobart's first game for the year. Now, Eli, can Geelong bounce back or will it be yet another upset loss? Yeah, I've, I don't really have much of an explanation of this, nor do I think I really need one. But uh, yeah, I think Geelong will bounce back and... I'll take this one comfortably. Um, North has showed fight at times. They came back against Brisbane um, for a brief period um, and they did against the Doggies too after a very poor start. Um, they didn't look like they were going to win the game by any means, but they showed a bit of showed a bit of fight. So um, I do hope they put up a, a good performance, um, but oh yeah, I can't see Geelong losing this one. Now, it's interesting because North Melbourne arguably play a lot better in... Uh, Tasmania than they do in Victoria. Last year, comfortably beat the Gold Coast Suns, had a draw against the Giants in one of the best finishes of the year, pushed along all the way, led Melbourne by three goals at, at halftime. And um, I think oh, yeah, almost too. beat Brisbane. Yeah. Almost beat Brisbane. Yeah. So that's Four teams they played last year who played finals football in the end, and they had a draw with one of them and almost beat the other three. So if Geelong head into this game thinking it's going to be an easy win, little trip to the Apple Isle, be back home by tea time, easy. They're in for a rude shock. But because they're a professional outfit, I can't see that happening, especially when they're fresh off an upset loss already. Geelong by 24 points. I think it's going to be a, a lot closer than a lot of people think. On to the Q clash. Now, your Brisbane Lions have not lost to the Gold Coast Suns since 2018. The infamous Dane Zorko took Miller 2018 contests. The Lions since then have annihilated the Suns every single time they have played them. I want to ask you, do you feel confident about this one? Surely the answer is yes. Surely the answer is yes. But before you do that, I'm going to, I'm going to mention my tip. I think Brisbane by five goals. I think it's going to be a lot closer. I sure hope it's a lot closer than previous years. But the Suns got the jump on you guys last time they played you, and they would have gotten a lot of confidence from that. So I think it's going to be an interesting contest. I tip in a close game until three-quarter time, and then Brisbane kick like the last six goals or something and you know margin balloons out a bit but it could be a good game who knows and it'll be interesting to see whether or not took miller and uh dane zorko shake each other's hands or not uh what do you think i'm going to ask you two questions eli first off who's going to win by how much and why and secondly will miller and zorko shake hands i'll answer your second question and i think maybe the end of the game but with Sorko's move to half back, I think he might be avoiding some confrontation this time around. So lucky for lucky for Zorko, I'd say, because I think Miller is certainly um, the alpha in that situation. As much as I like Zorko, I know a lot of people dislike him, and I do would you too. Think the question: Do you think that that is why Zorko moved to half back so he can avoid 
I think exclusively. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's absolutely the reason. Yeah, no, I can see Fagan's, the Fagan's thinking there too, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think uh, I'll back us to win for sure, as obviously. Um, I don't think I'll ever tip against us even against Melbourne. So um, I think we'll win. Realistically, I think we'll win by, oh, I think we will kick away. So I'm going to go eight goals. But you're right. Um, we haven't started that well this season. We didn't start well against Essen, didn't start well against Collingwood. And if Gold Coast can capitalise on a poor start again from us, which I hope we don't do, but um, they could blow it out to a four or five goal lead and that might be hard to catch up on and then beat by a little bit more. So um, Gold Coast I mean, certainly... I mean, they did do that last year against them. Yep. And I think we, we finished uh, finished the game pretty pretty strong. So I don't think we'll, we'll uh, be as strong again this time around because we haven't played that good footy so far this season. Um, we've sort of sort of been lucky to be 4-1, I believe. Um, but if we can put together a very strong performance that we are capable of and our first one of the season at that, um, I, I can't say this being a very tight game. But that's not to be a very biased Brisbane fan. That's um, me wanting to see a four-quarter performance from my team. So uh, that is biased, actually. But um, realistically, I think it might be um, anywhere between a five- to eight-goal win for us. But if Colgers could jump us, they could very easily take the win because we haven't played that good footy and they might capitalise on that. But um, I'm backing us big time. Now on to the annual... Anzac Day Eve clash. Richmond versus Melbourne. Richmond, I think Melbourne won the first couple. Richmond won three in a row and the Ds have won the last three on end. Now, Richmond are coming off a bad loss. Melbourne look 10 times better than the next best team in the competition. They look invincible, especially at the MCG. However, Richmond, bad loss, good win, bad loss, good win, bad loss. They're due for a good win. If the pattern is is anything to go by, I don't think it is anything to go by because the Ds are just that much better than everyone else in the competition. It's like they're playing at AFL level and everyone else is VFL level or waffle level. It's unbelievable. That third quarter gets the Giants couple of points in it, all of a sudden, 10 goals in the space of 20 minutes. It was amazing. Unbelievable. Seriously, this football team, right, in order to beat them, I am convinced that they are either going to have to get a massive spate of injuries or a massive sinkhole is going to have to open up and swallow only Melbourne players in order for anyone to beat them. And because I don't think they're going to get any injuries, at least I sure hope not, and because I think it's geologically impossible for a sinkhole to open up and only swallow one team in particular. And don't quote me on that. I'm no geologist. Maybe it is possible. Who knows? I do think Melbourne's going to win. It's going to be a lot closer than I think people expect. Melbourne by 19 points. Yeah, I can't I can't really entertain much of a, um, a close affair. I don't think I'm going to go Melbourne by six goals. Um, and I think that might be a minimum. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I just... I can't see anyone beating Melbourne this year. And as much as I like Brisbane too, um, you're right. They're just unbeatable the way they're playing. Um, and they've kept on their form from last season. No premiership hangover. And I think that's, uh, yeah, enough said, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. On to Anzac Day itself. Now, normally there's just one game on Anzac Day when Anzac Day is on a weekday. But this time there is an earlier game as well. Into Tasmania, Utah Stadium in Launceston, Hawthorne's first game at their Tassie Fortress. It's Hawthorne versus Sydney. 
big injury alert in the last hour. Mitch Lewis will not be playing for the Hawks for that reason. Oh, and Buddy might, might, keyword, might be back for the Swans. Big out for Hawthorne, even if Buddy's not playing. That's a huge out. And I think it it robs Hawthorne of a massive scoring threat. Because of that, I think the Swans are going to win by 22 points. Where are you, Elon? Yeah, totally agree. I've got Sydney winning this. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for. Uh, I'm going to go 28 points. Yeah, I'm going to go one more goal, Casper. There you go. Um, and that's if Bud White plays. <laughs> um, now nah, I just think Sydney are, are too strong at this point. Um, but Hawthorne are showed they can play good footy in patches. So if they can bring a good contest, they can they can take this game. But um, I've got Sydney holding out for this one for sure. On to the main event, the Essendon Collingwood blockbuster question mark this year. At times it has been, but yeah, maybe maybe maybe, maybe not maybe so not. much blockbuster this year. Both teams enter on horrible form. Collingwood started the year with two impressive wins. They've since lost three in a row. Essendon, you know, right, Eli. I want to ask you: Can can the Bombers? Can we just please get our season back on track? Or are you predicting more misery? There is you know one what? correct. There is one correct answer to this, by the way. Yeah, I know the correct answer. I'm going to go against it. So I'm going to tip Essendon to win, as foolish as I may look, um, come Monday evening. That is the um, correct answer. <laughs> ding, ding, ding! You win the gold medal. Congratulations! I, I thought I was going against the, the correct answer there, um, but yeah, look, I'm going to tip Essendon. You know. Um, I've got a, this might be my point of difference round in my tipping competitions, which I do need. Is it a calculated roughie? Maybe not all that calculated, but is it a roughie? Absolutely. Am I going to get a tip back if they win? Absolutely. So yeah, I, look, I think the penny's dropped now and I'm sure it had already for Essendon internally this season, but with all this external pressure, um, I just can't see them putting in another lackluster effort. So I think they're going to bounce back. Um, could they lose by 10 goals? Sure. I'm uh, sure they can. Collingwood have, show, have played good footy in patches too this season, but um, I think it's Collingwood's inconsistency and Essendon's need for a, a major turnaround uh, in some capacity that, is, yeah, I've got them winning this one, but I hope it's a good game nonetheless. You know what? I was struggling to justify to be Essendon against Collingwood and you just said, exactly. I'll just go, yeah, same exactly with me. I'm tipping Essendon in my seven points. It's going to be, Fingers crossed. It's going to be a good game uh, either way. I'm seeing it with a good Collingwood supporting friend of mine and I'm just hoping that he win. <laughs> Anyways, on to, I want to ask you this before we go, which game are you most looking forward to and why? Which game do you think could be the biggest blowout of the weekend? Oh, it's definitely the Fremantle-Carlton game. Absolutely. I think Regardless of the result, that's that's going to be just a good contest, I hope. Um, and hopefully Perth gets some better weather than we're going to see here in Melbourne, um, than Tassie's going to see, than Ballarat's going to see. Um, so I hope they turn it on, have a really clean, high-scoring um, high game. Um, and, yeah, make a Saturday night an interesting one. Um, but the biggest blowouts, uh, look, it's, it's hard to go past the Geelong game. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be um, like a 100-point game, um, but I think that'll probably be the most convincing win out of all the games um, in this round anyway because there should be some belters this round. Game of the round I'm most looking forward to. I'm also going with Fremantle-Carlton, exactly the same reason. Biggest blowout, I think, Brisbane over Gold Coast. 
Uh, now that I said that, Gold Coast will almost certainly beat Brisbane, and I do apologize for that. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Pleasure to have you on as always. And uh, yeah, good luck for Sunday. Pleasure is all mine, Casper. Go Dons. Go Dons. I swear if we lose to Collingwood, so help me. I'm just going to, yeah, anyways, I've had enough of talking about Essendon. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast, where I officially lost my mind. Uh, Join us next week as we review the Anzac round and preview what promises to be a huge round seven. Until then, hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) 